Blog Talk Radio. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, good morning, actually. This is Ray Penny with New Jersey School Board Association. Uh, welcome to NJSBA's podcast program, uh, Conversations on New Jersey uh, Education, and this is a School Law Today uh, edition. Uh, if you want to participate, all you have to do is call 1-347-989-8904 and then pound 1, and now I'll let Mike, who's working, working our switchboard, know that you have a question. Or you can just uh, log on to Blog Talk Radio. We have a chat room feature. There's no cost to that. You just log on with uh, Blog Talk Radio, and I'll be monitoring the chat room and passing the questions on to uh, our guest. Uh, today's topic, I think, is something that's very apropos, uh, and it's the freedom of speech, uh, the First Amendment rights of staff members who work in your school district. Uh, I believe that the First Amendment right might be our most cherished, uh, or at least you can argue it's our most cherished uh, right, uh, but it's not absolute. Uh, and here to discuss that with me is Sherry Adams. Uh, Sherry Adams has been practicing law for a good number of years. Sherry, welcome. And just tell us a little bit about your firm and how long you've been uh, practicing school law. Thank you, Ray. Um, uh, my firm is Adams Gutierrez and Ladabadir, and I don't blame Ray for letting me say it. Um, I've been <laughs> practicing. <laughs> I've been practicing now 34 years, um, representing schools and school districts um, around the state, and uh, initially as well as other states. Um, our practice focus focuses exclusively on representation from the school district side. And we have handled uh, any number of issues relative to uh, boards of education and, of course, including free speech rights. Uh, I also happen to be a board member in my town and have been on the board there for almost 20 years. Uh, So I have that perspective as well. I was going to add that to it. Uh, So uh, before we get into this, and, and right now in our society, it seems like Everyone has a, an opinion, and they want to express it in so many different venues and and in different areas. Uh, are there some basic guidelines you would give to a school district uh, in terms of uh, policy or other areas that they should have do to be a little proactive in this area? Yeah, I mean, I think you've hit the nail right on the head in terms of the issues being um, the context and the setting in which speech is made and the ability to um, impose certain restrictions depending on the location as well as what the topic is that's being spoken about. So relative to a school district, it would be very important, as it is in most areas, to have policies that clearly define the school district's expectations relative to staff interaction with students, relative to certain types of behavior that are not acceptable, Um, as well as um, the regular protections that prohibit any kind of discriminatory conduct or uh, intimidation of others. Also, you have um, the ability to uh, monitor these situations for school districts in terms of the curriculum that you have in place, uh, as well as what you set up in terms of the student supports. All right, I want to get into a couple of those areas uh, that you you mentioned. But uh, first, I, actually, it happened last night when we go around this time of the year. Uh, uh, board members often ask me questions about campaign 
material that can be in, either in the classroom or even in the school building. Uh, what, are there any restrictions on the posters or anything that a teacher may have in a classroom in regards to like a, a political campaign? Okay. Uh, yeah, there are some. To to actually to get into that, let's just back up to how the how the whole uh, area of free speech rights for school employees evolved, if you don't mind, so that we can lay the foundation. No. Uh, basically, as we know, freedom of speech is protected by the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. And long ago, in a case called Tinker, which involved uh, the wearing of black armbands and protests of the Vietnam War. Um, the courts established that both students and staff members do not shed all of their First Amendment rights when they walk into the schoolhouse door, but that doesn't mean that they can say whatever they want at any time um, because the analysis is that a school district must have the ability to maintain school operations without substantial disruption and without... Um, resulting in some kind of a safety or uh, disruption risk in terms of the school. Um, over time, the courts have further defined that analysis, and they basically have established um, a balancing test that evaluates what is the purpose of the speech as well as what is the impact or potential impact on the school if the speech were to occur. Um, the Pickering case is one of the cases that set up this balancing test, and that case had to do with comments that were made by a staff member but at a public board meeting. In, the, in a public board meeting setting, the restrictions are somewhat less because the employee had the right to make statements of what is referred to as public concern. In this case, they were uh, complaining about the way the finances were utilized in the district or something about bonding, and the court found that the teacher could not be disciplined for making those kind of statements because he was doing so as a matter of public concern in a public setting. Um, the other part of the analysis is if the statements that are made, even if they are of a public concern, are they such that they cause a substantial disruption in terms of the operation of the schools? Uh, in that particular case, since it was as a citizen at a public board meeting, the court found that as long as it wasn't a false statement that was being made, the teacher could exercise that right. Now, once you get into the school building, the courts have determined that the school has the paramount interest in regulating what is referred to as state-sponsored speech. So, so a school building is not an open public forum such as a public meeting, and a government entity such as the school district has the right to control the speech that's made by an employee of that entity in their official capacity. So that's been another, over the course of time in the court's analysis, another factor that they've added into the analysis, which is basically whether the uh, speech is something that occurs in the employee's official performance of their duties or in their professional capacity. And since official communications from a school have consequences, they've found that a board of ed or other public employer has the right to ensure that the actions of employees 
don't interfere with the overall mission of the school district or with their efforts to provide for education. So uh, as applied to what you're talking about in terms of the campaign in specific, although there's a number of other settings where this has come up, um, we can look at a situation where a, a staff member, most school districts and of course boards of ed are not allowed to engage in any kind of campaigning specifically involving students. Basically, as applied to a school set setting, the courts look at, at least from the K-12 to area, that the school and the district focuses in the in loco parentis, and therefore they are dealing with children of different age levels and maturity levels. So the general restriction, and this is something that could be reflected in policy as well, is that a school district doesn't allow campaigning for a particular candidate utilizing the school or the children or involving the children. So that is something that if a teacher is putting in campaign literature and things in the classroom, that's going to be problematic because it would be inconsistent with the school district's right to basically determine the message. And while there might be some discussion for example, of the uh, the election process or voting in general, once you move into partisan-type politics, it is likely that that would be a problem, um, that the school district can prevent that and or take action if the employee engages in that behavior. Sorry to be I have a couple follow-ups. So, because it seems like once a staff member is in the building or uh, – doing work for a school, uh, that there, there's much more restrictions, and we'll get into the board meetings a little later because I did want to follow up on that. Uh, but say, and we kind of had this discussion ahead of time, you know, if anyone watches football, you know, everyone's, uh, there's been some protests that go on by players and coaches. Is the coach under a restriction? Because I guess this is like their classroom under school duty that, they have to abide by school policies at that point if they want to if they want to take a protest movement at that point. Yes, my my belief is um, that that would be the case. I am not aware of this having been litigated specifically as to um, a K to twelve school high school coach or or athletic coach trying to take a knee, but basically. Um, the application of the U.S. Supreme Court case, which is Garcetti, it's called, um, is, is the case that recognized that the government employer has a heightened interest in regulating speech that's made by an employee in her professional, his or her professional capacity. And that includes speech that would otherwise be considered uh, relating to a public concern. So in my view, the situation you're presenting, right, the uh, the coach is going to be viewed as acting in his official capacity as a coach for the district and therefore would not be able to uh, engage in some kind of political statement or protest separate and apart from that duty that uh, could take place while he is in his function as coaching the team. So uh, I don't believe that that is something that would be allowed, assuming that the school district had a you know, a policy or had indicated that they were not allowing that to happen. 
Uh, and you indicated uh, earlier on that uh, curriculum is an important part of this, too, within the classroom. Uh, two things. One, um, I know we talked you can't do politics, but I would assume it would be okay if a teacher had her his or her class, especially in social studies, which is where I think a lot of this may occur more often. But say in social studies they have divide the class into halves, and one takes one side, one takes another side of a current election uh, as part. But that would be part of the the election process, not really the teacher. Uh, the teacher can do that, I assume. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. What uh, what happens with with respect to the teacher and involving the curriculum is obviously you're teaching about the government and the electoral process and and other issues related to that in connection with the United States as a part of history or social studies or whatever American government. Um, and it would be perfectly appropriate um, for the teacher to engage the students in uh, a discussion about even taking the perhaps, as you said, the role of each candidate and, and arguing those positions or policy statements that they're aware of. Uh, and that would not be something that would be uh, prohibited speech because it's something that's consistent with the school curriculum and it does involve a matter of political concern. As long as the teacher isn't using that function to try to argue, you know, well, we're only going to hear from one side or one candidate because that's the only one I believe in and that type of thing. So I, I think it, you know, certainly they can involve the students and it certainly can be a spirited discussion. But generally with respect to those type of things, we hear from both sides, much like when you're uh, on the radio or radio stations allow both campaigns to be heard kind of thing. Right. Uh, now, uh, I know there was a recent case and still being decided where maybe a teacher strayed from the approved curriculum uh, in the area, say, 9-11, and felt that there was a, uh, they uh, kind of believed or at least thought of the conspiracy theory. Uh, is that an area, even though, you know, uh, it's social studies, that they still have to follow the curriculum, and if they start putting their personal opinions in, it's not on the campaign, but it's maybe on an issue. Is that uh, an area where that could be reprimanded? Yes. Um, well, actually, there is, as you said, there is a case about this, and basically the court rec have recognized that teachers don't have a First Amendment right to decide what they're, what's being taught in the classroom that is um, directed by the curriculum. So once you're in the classroom and you're required to teach to the curriculum, uh, for example, a board have the right to have a teacher remove any re religious material from a classroom bulletin board. That's been established. Um, there is the case that you're talking about. There's actually a lawsuit that has been initiated because the student was, I mean, the, excuse me, the teacher was fired over posting on the teacher's website connected with the school that about studies of the 9-11 uh, event indicating that there are conspiracy theories about the U.S. planning the 9-11 attack, and obviously it caused a great deal of disruption in, with respect to the community. Uh, there were complaints filed. People came to board meetings. And so the school district had initially terminated the employee, and that's what he filed the challenge, alleging that he had free speech rights to put this theory out there as part of his teaching capacity, 
Um, and that hasn't been decided, but my own belief based on the other cases that have come down on that is that since he did this in his capacity as uh, an employee and as a teacher, then it's going to fall squarely within the right of the school district to determine what is taught in the classroom and to also prohibit speech that disrupts the operation of the school, even if it did address a matter of public concern. Okay, we're speaking with Sherry Adams on the First Amendment rights of uh, staff members. If you have a question, you can dial 1-347-989-8904 and press 1, uh, and we will get your question uh, and put you on the line, or you can just type it in the chat room, and I will pass it on to her. Um, oh, can I okay, comment on kind of established... cases, if you don't mind? Sure. No, I just wanted to talk about one or two other cases about that. No, there's another case that that came up that is actually sort of a hybrid case where um, a teacher was teaching a lesson uh, on a creative writing course, and in the creative writing course they talked about a Dutch tradition where there is families, Dutch families, have people dress up as characters revolving around Santa Claus, and one of the characters is uh, a Dutch character who is normally portrayed as a black individual. And in this case, in the Dutch tradition, someone might put blackface on and pretend to be that character in connection with the, the portrayal of this cultural event. So a teacher who was Dutch was explaining this to her students in connection with a creative writing book assignment that related to that, and she showed a picture of her family, uh, including a picture of a relative of hers who had blackface on and was portraying this other character. A student in the class, African-American student, had complained about that and said that he believed that that was racist. and. Uh, the teacher was defending her family and indicating it wasn't racist, it was part of the culture. Uh, a HIB investigation was filed, and the the HIB investigation basically found that, in fact, the teacher who kept going with the issue, even after the student complained, uh, was guilty in terms of a HIB, and she defended that and challenged the um, the reprimand that she was given based on an allegation that she it was covered by her free speech rights and it related to things that she was teaching in school. The court found that it, it went beyond, in fact, she tried to challenge the whole HIB law as denial of free speech rights because oh. it, talked about, uh, it talked about the impact on students and was a limitation. The court rejected that altogether and the court found that um, you know, once once it moved onto an issue where someone was intimidated or felt uh, singled out by the conduct of the teacher, that it went far beyond the discussion of the actual creative writing assignment, and it was um, it was not a matter of public concern. It was done in her job as a teacher in the classroom, and it was non-protected curricular speech. And even they found even if it had related to a public social issue. It was not of a matter of public concern, and so the school district had the right to regulate that speech because it resulted in a substantial disruption or interfered with the rights of the student involved at that time. So I thought that was a very interesting yeah, scenario interesting. because they were 
they were dealing with this, the book that dealt with the whole event, but once she brought it into her own personal experience, um, it, it crossed the line. Uh, I'm going to um, – we have a caller in here. Daria uh, has a question uh, regarding the staff standing for the flag salute. Uh, Daria? Yes, good morning. Um, we know that students may refuse to participate in the flag salute, but do teachers have the same right? Um, they have not. To date, have the same right. Um, the basically the law with respect to flag flag salutes, as it had to do with students, was that um, the students can not participate if they have some specific, uh, you know, moral conflict or religious belief that prohibits that. But they must stand in respect uh, during the flag salute. Um, historically, the cases have held that. The teacher's role is to model for the other students, and I don't see them applying it um, beyond that level so that the teacher would also have the right not to participate. I think that's part of the job duties, so to speak, because it is in the statutes requiring that the flag salute be uh, administered in the class and the teacher has to need it, has to lead it. I mean. Okay, is that okay, Daria? Okay. Thank you very much. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. You're welcome, or Sherry should say you're welcome, because uh, <laughs> um, that seems like that, that that's pretty solid. That you're an employee, so you're following your uh, your duties. Uh, let's go beyond the classroom a little bit in two areas, because um, you kind of mentioned one of them. What about the area of negotiations? Uh, because sometimes, from time to time, they could get a little tense. It's a natural conflict sometimes, uh, and boards feel that. They're restricted in their freedom of speech. Can staff members, what is protest can they do in terms of freedom of speech? Because that's in relation to a board or administration action. Right. I think what, what happens with negotiations is many times the negotiation communication, so to speak, are defined at the beginning of negotiations through the ground rules that are agreed upon between the parties. Mm -hmm. um, so they may have what can be discussed about the negotiations, what can't be discussed, whether there would be some ability to make public announcements at some point in time. Um, we have a lot of times if their negotiations have been going on for some time that the teachers association may determine that they want to, you know, have people start wearing buttons or T-shirts or appearing at board meetings saying still working, no contract. I know in certain cases we've talked to, to boards about having, uh, having buttons that say still paying, no contract. But in any <laughs> case, uh, there's a little bit more leeway in terms of coming, for example, a staff member coming to a board meeting and basically indicating that they're concerned, that there's no contract, they encourage the board to, to reach some agreement, and to take those type of actions as long as it's not something that's disrupting the students during the school day. Um, so not the topic of concern in the classroom because, it's not technically a matter of public concern. It more relates to that specific association in that specific district. Um, but they certainly could speak at board meetings. With respect to the classroom, they would have to make sure that nothing is done that would interfere with the um, operations of the school district. One of the job actions is students or teachers don't want to 
you know, write recommendation letters and things like that for students. But then again, that, that relates to not performing something which is consistent with your regular duties. So while you have some leeway in terms of speaking on the issues, uh, and particularly at a board meeting, you would not have the ability to bring that into the classroom and try to sort of have the students campaign for you. So the issue of them not performing the recommendations, that that's really part of their duty as a, that's particularly at the high school level. That So that's kind of perceived as their duty, uh, so they shouldn't really be going into that area. Yeah, well, that's, that's my position anyway. That's uh, that. <laughs> Well, I've heard that too, but I I think it is important for us to to talk about that. Uh, And also, um, you know, today uh, with social media, your opinions are (laughs) it's twenty four seven. So, and I have read uh, or seen uh, where teachers have made comments, where other staff members uh, have made comments on their personal Facebook page, but it's about what's happening in their school, uh, either about the students, about the staff, about the board, about the administration. How does that fit into here? Because uh, that has repercussions. I'm not even getting in, we'll get into their own political views, but when they make comments about their workplace. It, it is it is a very important um, area and, and one which is becoming more and more important as every day goes by. Um, basically, as you said, it's 24-7. So if a staff member is posting on, I mean, clearly they're not in their, technically in their official duties, but if they're posting on their Facebook or they're posting something indicating or where it's indicated that they're a teacher and they're talking about problems with their employment, or for example, we have the case that involved the Patterson school teacher where the teacher mm-hmm. posted on the Facebook, I'm not a teacher, I'm a warden for future criminals and that the Scared Straight program, why couldn't it be brought to first graders? Um, that resulted in, in extreme community outrage as well as a claim that the teacher was somehow racially motivated as the class involved primarily Latino African-American students. Uh, there was news coverage. Um, and basically this, the employee's position was that, you know, she had the free speech to write that and she really didn't mean anything by it. However the um, firing was upheld by the commissioner because, and by the appellate division because the comments that were made were specifically not of any kind of public concern or relates to something that, um, uh, that you know, the community at large had an issue with. It really resulted, resulted uh, or concerned student behavior. But they, they went even a step further and found that even if the comments were made uh, on a on the basis of public concern, that the school interests applying the Pickering balancing test that we talked to be, about before would apply and prevent this from happening because the school interest in preventing the massive disruption and uh, fallout that occurred based on this comment would outweigh any interest the teacher had in making a statement, even if it wasn't um, of public concern. Uh, in that case, it interfered with their school district's ability to even continue that teacher as an employee uh, with respect to the students and the parents who felt that she was, you know, motivated against particular students. So, so uh, and that was a very extreme posting, too. Uh, 
I, I remember reading that one. Uh, so, but for staff members, I guess they should be a little leery uh, that their posts are public, and that I guess they can say I'm going to vote for whoever I'm going to vote for on their private. But when they talk about school business, that's something that could affect what's going on within the building. Uh, they should be much more discreet, and the administration might have a little bit more latitude if it, they cross the line in that area. That's true. Is that and if kind they of right? make statements, yes. And if they make statements in that regard that have to do with, um, you know, things in school that impact them, again, unless it's a matter of public concern, it's not even going to be fall within the First Amendment protections in the first place. And if it causes a disruption in the school setting, then it is going to be something that the school district can take action to prevent. Um, the other thing, and I think it's important for school districts to know, is that um, you want to cover that ish, those issues in your policies. So, for example, mm -hmm. if people are having outside Facebook posting or Twitter accounts, you want to make sure that there's a policy that says that, um, you know, if you're posting anything or if you're making comments outside of the school about your opinions, that it's important not to tie those in with the school. So, for example, there was a situation where um, a person went on a, a very right-wing uh, a right-wing website and posted comments that were very, you know, critical of certain po political beliefs. But in doing so, they indicated that they, as, as part of identifying who they were, that they, they were a middle school teacher at a certain school district. Clearly, that's not something that's appropriate. You're expressing your, your individual concern, but you shouldn't be able to identify yourself as a student in the school district. And in fact, if you can believe it, in that case, this was sent to the school district from across the country, from somewhere across the country who was concerned about these statements being made by a teacher in the classroom. So I think uh, if you, you know, take, taking that out to the extreme, then you really need to worry about having policies in place that require that any staff member who's going to be making kind of political statements or comments make sure that they separate themselves out from their role as um, a teacher or other staff member in the school. That's interesting. That brings us to the end of our program. But I do want to add one thing. I guess, and I, I think it almost always comes down to this, that you must have district policy and the board must really establish policy that's clear in this area. I guess the final thing is to make sure that your staff knows what the policy is. Exactly. And you, exactly. And you I mean, many, many places, I'm sorry, many places have um, policies that basically limit Facebook interaction with, you know, having Facebook friends with students and other things. And I mm -hmm. think you want to definitely include a statement that says that any kind of private social media uh, that is not used to um, advance things in your capacity as a teacher or staff member. Okay, that brings us to the end of the program. Uh, it goes fast. Uh, I'd like to thank Sherry Adams for joining me on School Law today and the discussion on the First Amendment rights of staff. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you. It did go fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you actually went a couple minutes over, so that's but that's okay. Um, oh, all right. Uh, that and means that brings I got us, cut off. That's <laughs> no, no, you didn't get cut off. Uh, oh. So um, thank you, and that brings us to the end of the program. Good right, afternoon. Thank you, Ryan. Bye.